You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. All right, Ryan, we're back. You know, it's it's another bye week in the PLL, but... Oh, surprise, surprise, another bye week. But you know what? Here, here's the thing. There's There's been a lot going on, so let's talk about that. You know, we... we Talked about this a couple weeks ago. Utah was looking for a head coach. We we kind of threw out some names, and I don't know. I don't know if we played the lottery or or what, but one of those names actually got the job, and that was from what everybody had said. Our dark horse candidate is what I heard a source say that came onto the scene real late. You know, seven days after we talked about him, no big deal. And uh, and. Congrats to Andrew McMinn because this is this is huge, and we were just talking about this off off pod. I like this trend if we can make it into a trend of hiring proven guys from these mid majors and giving them a shot with actual resources. Because I don't know, I mean, I don't know how many people have ever been or heard of Moon Township, Pennsylvania, but I've been there. And I've been to Robert Morris's campus, and it's no knock on this campus at all, but it, it's no Utah. It's no Big Ten campus. It's, it's not even, I would argue, not even quite a Big East campus. So for him to do what he did and do it at a place like Robert Morris just excites me to see what he can do at a place like Utah. I mean, he had seven winning seasons out of the last 10, which is crazy. He plays a very unique style of lacrosse, very Canadian heavy, you know, borderline. I mean, not quite the chaos of of college lacrosse, but, you know, definitely willing to take a lot of guys that have a lot of box experience, a lot of guys from Ontario and, and throw them together. And, you know, more often than not, it works. I mean, Ryan Smith is a great example of that. I mean, you had the first overall pick in the NL draft, right? Am I right about that? I'm yeah. pretty sure I'm right. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to producing professional lacrosse players, Robert Morris has kind of been sneaking under the radar with that one. And, uh, I mean, that, and that goes not just PLL, that's NLL, a lot of NLL, if I were to be honest. But, you know, let's just see what he does at Utah. And from what we had heard, the rumblings behind the scenes were that Utah – and Holman might have had different visions for the program and that there were rumors that the, the administration might want to pare back a little bit on how big they were going into lacrosse budget-wise, especially during these times. So if you want a guy that can definitely work on a shoestring budget and maybe, I mean, this I'm, I'm sure the budget is still three to four times what he's used to, right? So <laughs> uh, if you want a guy that can take advantage of that and and build something, uh, I'm a huge fan of the direction that Utah is going in. Uh, I think it's a home run. Um, you know, I mean, as, as far as, you know, kind of my thought process, um, you know, it, it's – I think a great guy got the job. I don't know um, who else interviewed. There was a lot of speculation about things like that, but I, I think this is a great, great hire. Um, you know, one thing that Coach McMinn has proved is that he can do more with less. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Robert Morris is kind of out of time. For those of you who might not be familiar, you know, this is a this is an institution that kind of abruptly cut their their hockey programs after hosting the Frozen Four. 
Um, and, you know, obviously there's been a big push to bring the hockey programs back. They've raised money, but they still pushed it back another year. Um, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of things in flux there. Um, and it was kind of a perfect storm and, and perfect, uh, you know, timing, I guess, for Coach McMinn. And, you know, let's call it like it is. Um you know, a, a Pac-12 institution, just the trickle-down effect of resources from the other sports that they have. Um, is the going, name recognition is, alone. Is going to bode well. Um, I think for him, you know, he's he's recruited in, in a lot of non-traditional areas, which I think will be really uh, useful for a school like Utah. Um, you know, let's be honest, um, regardless of the fact of that, you know, the allure of a Pac-12 school, um, if you're just recruiting in, um, you know, New York, Long Island, Maryland, and some of those other East Coast hotbed areas, um, and you're recruiting against all of those ACC schools and those Big Ten schools, and you still have to get on a plane and, 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 and go out to their school, um, you know, it, it's still a little difficult to get some of those guys. So I think it's a home run. You know, you're talking about a guy who, like I said, d has done more with less. Um, I, I think a guy like this, you're going to see Utah take take another step forward. Um, I, I think you're going to see kind of what you saw with um, Brian Brecht and Rutgers when he left um, Siena. Um, I think you're going to see Utah kind of take that next step. And, you know, once you get a coach like that, who's a little bit of a grinder, um, who's had success, who's got really strong ties recruiting, um, I think that's when you'll see, and they get a little bit of resources. I think you'll see his players develop in a way that they weren't able to develop at, at a Robert Morris. You know, you factor in the, you know, the strength and conditioning and the performance aspect of it. Um, I, I think you're going to see Utah take a big step forward, and and I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what he does with it. I hope uh, everybody out at Utah is excited. Um, and you know, I think this is a great trend. Um, you know, I, I hopefully you see. Um, we talked about another coach who's like this. I think he's very happy where he's at, but you know, who knows, you know, Keegan Wilkinson at Marist, he's another guy that, you know, we toyed about, you know, would be a great fit for something like this, but these guys, man, these guys that have had success at some places where people necessarily wouldn't think they've had success, they would have success. Um, now we're starting to break through and get some of these bigger jobs. I think it's awesome, man. I think it's a great trend. Yeah. And, and great, great example there. Keegan Wilkinson is, Kind of like that next guy when we when we talked about like Brian Brecht and we talked about Andrew McMinn and I think Keegan's right in that same spot and I think there's there's always a reason why guys stay where they're at as long as they do. Mm -hmm. I mean he he's in a great spot he's built something really great and you know it would take something like a Pac-12 type job or a Big Ten type job I think to to get him out of Poughkeepsie but you know going back to Utah I, I'm also very interested to see who the staff will be now because the the one thing i did hear is that one assistant from you from uh from robert morris is definitely going with him okay. and so it'll be very interesting to see because you know it, it almost felt like now i'm sure any of these guys will take a d1 job to stay in, as a d1 coach but it almost felt like that whole staff that was there is kind of a package deal yeah um and I know that's not the case. I know if one of those guys wants to stay, he will, regardless of, of what happens. But it just it, I'm interested to see the dynamic of well, I, throwing gonna, some new people in there. Exactly right. And I'm gonna say, you know, like you said, it's a package deal. I think um, I think Coach Holman probably let those guys do a little bit more than what a normal Division One head coach would let them do. I mean, let's just call it like it is. 
you know, it's a great thing that those guys are playing professional, but you can't like, you know, it's a great recruiting tool. You've got three assistant coaches that are out playing in the PLL, but are those guys out recruiting during the week while they're playing in the summer? Um, you know, that's going to be a big thing that I think, um, probably coach McMahon is going to be looking for. Um, I think all three of those guys are phenomenal coaches. Gittleman's a stud. Um, he's been a great coach with a great track record. I think Will Manny's a rising star. Um, you know, hopefully um, those guys stay around. And I I'm sure um, Marcus Holman is probably looking to get back to the East Coast as well. And, and maybe he can find a niche um, if he decides not to I stay mean, there's at a Utah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? There are some, some decent profile assistant gigs that are open and there's always a trickle effect anytime a d1 coach moves there's always this trickle effect i mean heck who's taking the robert morris job we have no idea uh, i i made a point to terry foy on twitter that you know robert morris is a unique place i think you need some understanding of how it works and you know whenever you get a school like that you, you think about alumni and you think about former assistant coaches but when i looked back there really aren't a lot of bobby mo guys out there coaching I wouldn't be surprised if they went um, Joe Routenstrauch. If I butchered his name, I'm sorry, but the head coach at John Carroll. He's a Kinesius guy. He's got um, he's got Division One coaching experience. He's done really well at John Carroll. That's not too far away. Um, you know, not I'm I'm just throwing a name out there, but yeah, I, I think no, that's, that's sure. another guy. Um, I'm just think, saying there yeah. there isn't a, there isn't one alumni that I could point to that is out there coaching right now where I'm like oh that's the yeah, next absolutely. D1 head coach absolutely. and even alumni in terms of players most of the best players that they've ever had are still playing absolutely you know, they're they're so you know it, it'll be interesting it looks like they have to go outside the family a little bit I mean I wouldn't I would be shocked if they don't go with somebody that has some coaching playing uh, or just regional tie to, to Western PA yes, absolutely. because you're going to get that a lot. And, and I think if I'm the administration, I want somebody that has ties to Ontario as well, because I mean, I think I read that they have the most active players in the NLL out of any university. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that's something that, you know, if you want to keep your identity a little bit, and I think the players will want to be a part of picking the new coach as well. I mean, they always do, but I think that's what they're going to look for. Somebody that can kind of keep, you know, what what he was doing was working. That's why he got an opportunity like Utah. Absolutely. So they're going to look for somebody that can kind of keep keep that going. Let's talk about something that we haven't talked about before. The whole process of hiring coaches and interviewing, it's it's kind of complicated. And you know, we we had talked about we've heard from numerous people about people going after jobs that, you know, prestigious jobs, and then they're getting upset when they don't get an interview or they feel like they get slighted. Or I think people need to realize that just because somebody is maybe famous in the space or has been coaching for a little while that they're automatically qualified. But like, I know some of the people that that were going after the Utah job and McMinn has one of the best resumes by far. And a lot of the other people weren't even close. You know, we, we've seen these other jobs fill up across D1 and, and it's the same thing. No one's accidentally getting these jobs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of crazy. I, I think, 
you know, the, the job landscape is so different now as it was maybe 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's not foreign that some of these guys have agents that go out and speak on their behalf to help them get these positions or at least get them in the mix for some of these positions. Um, you know, and, and call it what it is, man. A lot of it's who, you know, um, across the board, you know, and that's not just for the sport of lacrosse, that's kind of for any job. Um, so it, it's interesting to see kind of how things come together. And it's interesting to see how every institution does it differently, right? Some institutions, you know, they can get it done in, you know, a week to 10 days. Others, you know, you're sitting around waiting for a month or two months. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it, it's kind of crazy how everybody does it. And there's no rhyme or reason either, yeah. because like you would think, okay, I get the big prestigious jobs take time, mm -hmm. but Syracuse did it pretty much overnight. I mean, and, and we know the people like Gary Gate wasn't the first call. No. And if anybody thinks he is, yeah, I'm sorry to tell you this is maybe the third or fourth call. I also think it was very unreasonable who they tried to get before him. They were yeah. never getting any of the people that they called. Yeah, um, and I think de facto that's how it was. And you know, I mean, shoot your shot, right? But if you're going to go after the three coaches that won the last three national championships, good luck. Like, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I get Syracuse as a brand, but why would you leave a, a place that can win a national championship and has to go to Syracuse? So, especially with you know, it's a bit of a rebuild in terms of like it's it's still elite but it's not getting the job done. So uh, there's a sense of entitlement, I think, from some of the, the younger coaches that they're not used to waiting around very long to get what they want. And, you know, you, you talked about this. I mean, McMinn was at Robert Morris for 10 years as a head coach. He was an assistant there before that. And this is his first... I don't want to say his first look because who knows what goes on behind the scenes, but let's just pretend that this is his first look at a school anywhere near the caliber, not, not program ca school caliber of Utah. Uh, you, you mentioned how some of the greatest of all time, you know, uh, Petro. Yeah, he, worked and, at, he worked at an aluminum extrusion plant while he, uh, while he was an assistant coach at Loyola and Johns Hopkins before he kind of, got his first opportunity to go full time and then get the head mm -hmm. coaching job at Cornell and everything like that. And you're talking about Dave Petromala, you know, yeah. um, he was the great, you know, he, everybody knew who he was as a player. So, um, you know, it's really interesting. Like even Gary Gate, like Gary Gate was the assistant women's lacrosse coach at, at Maryland in the nineties. You know, he won seven national championships there. Um, you know, a lot of these guys had to cut their teeth and wait their time to get their jobs. Like John Donowski, was the head coach at and a CW, teacher? Yeah, at he was at CW Post, and then he was part time at Hofstra for a ton of years, working I think in the admissions department, maybe, or he had another job there before they made him the full time lacrosse coach. And now, listen, I don't want to sound like the old man screaming at the cloud, um, because things have changed dramatically. But you know, even a guy like Joe Amplo, he had to cut his teeth for a while. Like a lot of these guys that. Um, and I don't think I, and I, and to be quite honest, I, there's, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding, you know, a lot of these guys that, are, that are having success as head coaches in today's day and age, they had to cut their teeth as assistant coaches and they had long stewardships for a number of different programs. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that. I think, um, you know, there's, uh, I think there, and it's just kind of the society we live in. Everybody's yeah. in a rush to want to be a head coach right away. Well, well, listen, I, I think. 
I think I believe firmly that you should hire the best person, regardless of age. And and if if the person happens to be twenty five and is the perfect candidate, I mean, sometimes it's situational. Like Connor Busick has probably got fast tracked to be the Cornell head coach, right? Like the, well, the guy think, has a resume. The guy was a good fit. He's got the pedigree, but like. In a normal situation, if he was at a different school, like he wouldn't have gotten the Cornell job. Well, and Cornell has uh, traditionally done that. They've promoted yeah. from within their staff. And I think you add in the COVID year. Um, it's a, it's, you know, it was. Yeah, kind but of that's a, a, a that, I'm just situation. saying that he, he's very deserving, but that's a one off. Usually he'd yeah. have to have had like three or four more years. And, and typically an Ivy League school, especially on the top half of the Ivy League or, any major conference is going to grab a current head coach from a smaller school or a extremely high profile D1 assistant that is like the associate head coach at another prestigious elite school like a Notre Dame mm -hmm. or a Duke or a Maryland as we've seen. I mean, look at Maryland Ruppert going to, to Holy Cross like that guy had to put in his time and he was the second assistant. And, and Holy Cross is going to get better under him, but it ain't Maryland. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think that there's this, you know, I think what fans need to understand from the administrative side of things is that no one cares how good of a player you were. It's all about how good of a coach you can be. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that translates very well. And sometimes it has nothing to do with it. And how much money you're willing to take within their salary range. Yes, because sometimes they will... Just go for the guy that's ten grand cheaper. Yep. Because lacrosse is still not the number one priority everywhere. Or they're, All right. or, or they're low ball, um, a really good head coach that's right down the road from them. Yeah. Which is crazy, but it happens all the time, especially in those lacrosse dense areas where yep. there's ton you could throw a ball in any direction and you'll hit a guy that probably coached D one somewhere. Mm -hmm. So let's move on. Uh the PLL, it's bye week. But we wanted to talk about the chaos for a second because yeah, let's talk about the chaos and not the bye week because I yeah. feel like I feel like by the time this season's over, I'll be three years older. Possibly, possibly. So the chaos, they, uh, you know, let let's call it what it is. We're fans of a lot of the players. We love Coach Towers' energy. They should change their name to the Possums because that's what they play all year. They play Possum during the regular season, and then they just they just come out and punch you right in the mouth. In well, the, the thing is, we we don't pick them a lot in our pick them because it's super hard to trust which chaos team you're going to get. Yeah, which I mean, it goes to their name. They're they're very chaotic in the way that they play mm -hmm. and and the product on the field. Looking back at the year, and, and this just reminds me of the bubble season too, right? They were like last or second to last going into the the bubble playoff, and they make it they make it very far and screw everything up. This year, they they had lost two games by six goals. Every other game was by less than six. I mean, a lot of two goal games. I'm counting, yeah. you know, one, two, three, four, like four two goal games, and it, it's just crazy to me. That this is very much like Michigan State <laughs> basketball, where where Tom Izzo's not afraid to lose early in the season, to tinker, to get things right, to get guys to gel, and he's just never been caught up on it. Like it's almost like an expectation that you lose a couple games early in the season to teams you shouldn't. But then come playoff time, come come tournament time, the team is ready. And I think Andy Towers is the same thing. Like he's not afraid of tinker. He he switches his lineups a good amount. 
I mean, E. McKay was an LSM for the first part of the season. Now he's like this this D mid that is more than welcome to stay on and shoot a two. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, they had they threw Kyle Jackson in, yes, because of injury, but also Kyle Jackson came out and performed extremely well in the first playoff game. I mean, you don't even have the best. When is my opinion the best attackman on that roster is still stuck in Canada and Dixon. Yeah, and if they have him. I mean, they're probably you know six and three going into this because they just they lack that. When Dane Smith is like driving the entire offense by himself, that's a lot of pressure for a true midfielder. Mm-hmm. So they missed a guy like Dixon, I think, that could kind of control everything uh, at, at attack. And uh, but but I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it other than I mean, you you said possum, but like let's get deeper than that. I mean, what is it about the chaos? that is it just every year just like like you said in the beginning it felt like summer ball like men's elite league with with some of the world's best players but they were just kind of like thrown out there and like let's just see what works do you think that's a that's a strategy i think um it's not about i mean but let's talk about it every coach uses it football lacrosse like for if you're college lacrosse coach it's not about how you play in february it's about how you play in may um, I think that's the approach that they take because the team that they look like in August is considerably different than the team that they looked like, you know, in April or May. Um, and I, I think that's the maturation of it. I think um, the one thing I probably will say about Andy Towers is that, you know, he treats those guys like they're professional athletes and, you know, they, they, he doesn't change who he is. He doesn't change what they do. Um, and those guys are, I think it's probably talked about or they know it in the back of their mind. Like, Hey, we just need to get to the playoffs. This is when the games really count. Like, why are Mm -hmm. we going to, why are we going to depreciate our bodies through this season? When we know that when we get to the playoffs, that's when we're going to need to turn it on. Um, You know, this is almost reminiscent to like those John Donowski teams in like 2012, 13, 14, when, you know, or 2010 when they won their first national championship, when they lost a bunch of games in February, and then all of a sudden caught fire at the end. Um, you know, I, I I think that's just probably ingrained in their culture. Um, I think trust is a big part of yeah, it too. Absolutely. Like like AT does not he, he gives people quite a long leash. Mm-hmm. I mean he he'll get after he'll get after you <laughs> right away, but well, the guy, he doesn't I mean, give up on you because yeah. like, if he did, Max Adler wouldn't have had a job after week two. Because yeah. like he came into the league and yeah, there's, there's slightly different rules, but like, and he had some tough matchups to start the year, but like his numbers weren't great. But recently, he's been very competitive. I mean, he we all know he has the skill set, but he's been super competitive lately. Like that completely changed. It completely changed the dynamic of the team when when he's out there getting forty percent plus. That team has a chance to win every single game. It makes it. This league is incredibly tough if you're taking faceoffs at under forty percent, and Blades can only bail you out so many times, right? Yeah. So and and he played tremendous last week. They junked it up. Like they, if they can, if if they do a really good job of forcing teams to play their style of lacrosse, mm-hmm. and if they can continue to do that, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they can win the whole thing. Yeah. And let's mm-hmm. talk about that next matchup against the Atlas. So I, I think this is. I think AT is watering at the foaming at the mouth to play mm. Atlas because I think that the Atlas are the exact opposite. Uh-huh. I think that the Atlas like to play a clean game. 
They, they like things to go in their favor the whole time, and they have incredible amount of talent. But mm-hmm. I would love to see just like everything, like you said, mucked up, just complete chaos from the break. I want to see every curveball, every trick that I know AT has in the book, all the things that Dennehy used to tell me about <laughs> that, that this guy has done, can do, uh, is willing to do. So I'm ready to see it. I'm ready to see Jared Newman take a couple twos. I, I feel like that has completely disappeared this year. I, I would love to see a little bit just, I don't know. I, I think the looser that game is, the better it is for the chaos. And, and that's no surprise to you because you feel the same exact way. Yeah, listen, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to see if AT wears his track pants and long sleeve shirt under the polo, which that's is... A- it's that's a, a power move. That's a power yeah. move. He looks like, um, he look. I don't. I. I. I can't even <laughs> find words. Like he just. He looks like he's, you know, at the park on a Saturday, ready to ready to start a fight with an umpire because they missed the they missed the third strike call. Um, but I love him. Love him to death. I think he does a great. I think he's. You know, those guys love him, and and that team is taking his personality, and. If those guys are taking his personality and are playing to the level that he know, that he knows they can get to, it's going to be tough for the Atlas to to, to do that. Um, I mean, they're seeing another great faceoff guy this weekend, but if they can muck it up and make it a 50-50 ball, who's to say that you know the Chaos can't win those possessions back? They did exactly what we talked about last podcast, and and that helped them win the game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The the more involved, I think. I'm just taking a quick look at the roster here so I don't misspeak here, but I'm loving the LSMs for the chaos to to really screw up everything in the middle of the field. I mean, having McKay play a little bit of both is great, but like having Costabile out there, I think against the Atlas is going to be pivotal. So like that's, that's my guy to watch. If you're looking for somebody to watch like a little, you know, this underlying theme here, I would definitely watch CJ Costabile and Troy Ray next week. Yeah, absolutely. And, those and, guys, and watch, those guys watch things chaos. get screwed up. Yeah, those yeah. Guys I mean, chaos. CJ, he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve. So yeah, let, let, let's see it. So, all right. That, well, that's going to wrap up this week. Uh, you know, looking forward to some more, you know, there's, there's a few more coaching changes that are going to happen in the next week. We, we've heard some rumblings. I mean, the Tusculum job just got posted. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Still has their guy. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. And as things get more public, then we can talk about it. But we're not going to, you know, we're not going to ruin anybody's, you know, news. It's it's their news to give. So, yeah, awesome. Until next week. Yeah, stay stay golden. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Offsides. 